Funding for this podcast comes from MathWorks, creators of MATLAB and Simulink software, accelerating the pace of engineering and science. Learn more at MathWorks.com. This is On Point. I'm Meghna Chakrabarty. The southwestern Texas city of Del Rio sits on the banks of the Rio Grande. It's a border town and, until recently, a relatively quiet one. But from 2007 to 2018, U.S. Customs and Border Protection reported only about 20,000 border encounters each year at the Del Rio sector. Border Patrol defines an encounter as an apprehension or determination of inadmissibility of a non-U.S. citizen. And then, in 2019, the number of illegal border crossings in Del Rio jumped dramatically to 57,000. In 2021, it was up to 259,000 encounters. And in 2022, that number stood at 480,000. That's 14 times Del Rio's population of roughly 34,500. Now, it's unclear how many of those 480,000 were the same people trying to cross multiple times. Customs and Border Protection does not track the numbers that way. But no matter how the numbers are tracked, the mayor of Del Rio pleaded with the Biden administration, saying his city was overwhelmed. Mr. President, my name is Bruno Lozano, mayor of the city of Del Rio, Texas, and I am pleading and requesting with you to please put a halt to any measures regarding the release of immigrants awaiting court dates into the city of Del Rio and surrounding areas. That was the then mayor of Del Rio, Texas, Bruno Lozano. He posted a video online on February 17, 2021, after a winter storm left more than 11 inches of snow in the area and collapsed Texas's power grid. If you do send these individuals into our community, we will be forced to make a decision to leave them without resources under these dire circumstances. I am asking to please stop. Please make another plan for this federal issue. If you're going to allow these individuals into our community, I respectfully ask that you provide the means and the supplies necessary to accommodate them safely under these extreme circumstances. The federal aid did not come, and the flow of migrants did not stop. Mayor Lozano posted another video, this one seven months later, September 2021. The Border Patrol right now is so overwhelmed with the influx of migrants in the Del Rio sector. We have about 2,000 to 3,000 at any given moment in detention. These individuals behind me are not in detention. They're just waiting to get detained to continue their process into the Border Patrol custody. Mayor Lozano in the video is standing under a bridge leading from Del Rio to Mexico, and behind him are crowds of migrants whom Lozano says crossed the Rio Grande illegally and are camping out under the bridge. You know, this is just something that really needs to be brought to light, that we need quick action from the administration. We need quick attention to this. We need a response in real time. And, you know, a stark warning was delivered back in February when it released the, the video to the Biden administration that what you're seeing behind me was a threat then, and here it's coming into the worst-case scenario, worst-case scenario. And again, on behalf of the city of Del Rio, Mayor Lozano, bringing this information now. It's 11:22 on September 16th. For as long as federal aid did not come, Lozano continued posting updates and pleading for help from the Biden administration, tweeting at the president and vice president with aerial photos of the migrants in his city and saying, quote, we need you to visit Del Rio, Texas, and, quote, where is the plan to protect our southern border? Well, President Biden never came to Del Rio in 2021. In fact, his first visit to the border was January 8th, 
2023 in El Paso, more than 400 miles away from Del Rio. And here's what the president told reporters that day while at the border. That they need a lot of resources and we're going to get them for them. Former Del Rio Mayor Bruno Lozano would be forgiven if he doesn't buy it. He'd been asking for those resources since 2021. And he'd been asking for them from the head of his own party. Bruno Lozano is a Democrat. And he held his mayoral seat under both President Trump and Biden. His term ended in June of 2022. And today, he joins us in the On Point studio. Mayor Lozano, welcome to the program. Thank you for having me. So uh, when I just played that tape of President Biden in El Paso, I couldn't help but notice your eyes rolled a little bit. <laughs> Thank you for calling me out. But yeah, they did roll out. I, I just feel, I mean, I do welcome the president's visit to the border. I feel like it was needed a lot sooner than later. But I, I welcome the administration to actually visit the border communities. I think a lot of us border mayors or former border mayors um, uh, kind of bre- took a de- took a better breath. I mean, a breath of fresh air that, okay, finally they're at least recognizing that there's a situation going on. Whether they want to call it a crisis or a surge or what have you, it's irrelevant. There is something going on at the border. Okay. So tell tell us in more detail then what is going on. Like describe to me what did things look like in um you know that period of of 2021 where you saw this like 14 fold increase mm-hmm. in uh the amount of uh border encounters that were happening in the Del Rio sector. What did it look like? It looked like it looked like and I I'll just go ahead. It looked like a little war zone. It looked like there was an invasion of, 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 of people coming in. And I know that that's a very sensitive topic and word and language. But, I mean, I, I, there's, there's no other way to describe the thousands that were coming hourly into, into Texas, into the city of Del Rio's, you know. Um, it, it was just something that is just profound, unprecedented, and it's, it's embedded forever. The, the, the faces, the people, the... The bathing in the river, the 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 microeconomy that was established with people purchasing food in Mexico and, and selling it under the bridge. I mean, you you saw everything. People were people were having babies under the bridge. I mean, it's something that I witnessed myself. Tell me more about about this bridge because I described it a little earlier. Mm-hmm. It, it leads from Del Rio uh, into the the almost like the sister town in Mexico right. across the border, whose name is, I've forgotten it. Ciudad Acuña, okay. Coahuila. So um, it's it's an international bridge, and we're one of the unique um, border communities where Del Rio is actually inland about three miles. So the bridge is kind of um, outside. It's not outside the city limits. It's our bridge, but it's it's there's a lot of land. You know, you see a lot of border towns. It's like the both towns kind of hug the river or hug the border like Tijuana, San Diego, El Paso, Ciudad Juarez, whereas Del Rio doesn't really necessarily hug. Our downtowns are not connected that way. So the bridge is kind of like semi-wilderness, semi-natural, um, and the city owns and operates the International Bridge. That's actually our property. And uh, CBP, DHS, only processes and owns the the, the inbound area where, where you go through border border protection, like, you know, where you go through customs, basically. And under the bridge, it's like, how can I describe it? It's just, it's just a lot of um, 
there's nothing there. I mean, there's, no, there's, there's nothing there to provide anybody. It's just a staging area. And, the, and how it got to be a staging area now, as, as you saw in September and even beforehand, is that people cross the river and there's nowhere for them to wait. So they kind of just, it's, it's got shade. It's a shelter, you know, for whatever reason, from inclement weather. So that's kind of like why the Border Patrol was just kind of like saying, go that way, go that way. And then they, they pick them up whenever they have enough um, patrolmen to go and, and detain them. Okay. So... I want to get as clear a picture as possible because, I mean, this is like this incredible surge. Mm-hmm. Um, and were people like f- actually physically crossing the river? Were they coming over the bridge? I mean, how were they coming into the river? There was, there was no, there were no pedestrian, there was no pedestrian traffic on that bridge. It was all coming across the river. And so there's a little, there's a little, a tiny little dam, I think it's called Hardy Dam right there. And um, it's actually very dangerous. And if you look at the image, you see all these, all you see the individuals crossing and it's very shallow where they're, where they're walking. But if they were to fall to their right, where the, where the water is over that dam, the water sucks you under and people have drowned. I mean, I remember growing up, that was like, Nobody did that because you would drown if you fell into that water. Um, but, I mean, there was a whole line. I mean, there was thousands of people crossing hourly. It was it was something I had never, ever, I never saw, I, I never imagined that happening. Thousands ever. of people hourly. Thousands of people hourly and at the peak. Where were they expected to go? They. That's a great question. We don't know where were they going to, where they were going to go. And leading up to that, I mean, let's 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 go back a couple of months and a couple of years. So the crisis actually initially started under the Trump administration. And I appreciate you talking about the fact that I was under both presidencies, right? The Trump administration, I feel, you know, initially they didn't react either. I remember talking to to some of the you know elected officials during that administration, and even Governor Abbott and a lot of the emergency responses in Texas, you know, because we were getting, we were seeing. Um, people who were sick, you know, we, we didn't know what kind of diseases they had. And we were just trying to provide some health resources and trying to reach out to Texas resources for these individuals. And I remember um, Nim Kidd, who was the director of emergency management at the time, back in 2019, stated, oh, no, we're not going to we don't give any any funds for individuals that are not from Texas. So it's basically your problem. Right. So hands off approach. And, and of course, the Trump administration wasn't going to send anything at the time either. But then COVID happened. So Title 42 took into effect. So it was 100 percent, you know, nobody allowed, nobody in, which really gave border communities a chance to breathe and try and kind of just catch up. And like, you know, during that time, that's when the campaigning started that, you know, immigration reform, we're going to do this, we're going to do that, you know, border protection, you know, and 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 and. And immigration became even that much more polarized with with the former president trying to build a wall and and, and this administration, you know, trying to welcome people for asylum. You know, there's all these different political political rhetoric. But physically at the border, Border Patrol stations system wide were already backlogged since 2019. And these facilities were built because prior to the last five years, I mean, the, the border crosser was a single male. That's right. And so these facilities are built to manage men that are by themselves, you know, in, in processing cells, right? Well, now they're families mm-hmm. and they're, they're, they're large families and they're diverse families. And they, they're, they're, so the, the, the facilities themselves do not have the capacity to, to process individuals fast enough. That's just the physical property itself. We also do not have enough manpower to process the, the, the influx 
of what we've witnessed in the last two years. I mean, five five million people have crossed the border if you add up both years. I mean, that's the size of a very of, of Houston, Texas, basically. Imagine that processing power that's needed for the magistrate judges, the 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 CBP, the the Border Patrol, ICE, all these different you know entities under the DHS. There's just not enough manpower. Well, this hour we are talking with the former mayor of Del Rio, Texas, Democrat Bruno Lozano, trying to get basically a a real impression of what life on the border is like under both how it was under the Trump administration and what it's like now uh, under the Biden administration. And Mayor Lozano also has a very interesting story about his path into politics as well, which we will hear a little later in the show. So Mayor Lozano, stand by. We'll be right back. This is On Point. Support for the On Point podcast comes from Indeed. We're driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. Ditch the busy work and use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And listeners will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash On Point. That's Indeed.com slash On Point. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Support for On Point comes from BetterHelp. If you had an extra hour in the day, how would you use it? BetterHelp Online Therapy can help you figure out what's most important to you so you can prioritize it. Learn to make time for what makes you happy. Just fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist. And switch therapists anytime for no additional charge. Visit BetterHelp.com slash OnPoint today to get 10% off your first month. This is On Point. I'm Meghna Chakrabarty, and today we're joined by Bruno Lozano. He's the former mayor of Del Rio, Texas. And Mayor Lozano, uh, before the break, you were describing, you know, not just the acute problem of immigration um, at the southern border over the past year, but sort of the history that led up to especially Mm -hmm. 2021 and 2022. Why does that matter in, in particular? The crisis that we saw in September of 2021 was the, the, the worst case scenario of all worst case scenarios. But what people forget, I think, is that the, the Border Patrol has been backlogged with with um, just overwhelmed with the numbers of, 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 of crossers for the last five years. I mean, that's just that's just the way it's been. I mean, there's just not enough processing power, whether it's the actual physical location or the personnel that's needed to facilitate the the, the processing itself. And I say processing, it's a very specific um, set of things that happens. When a, when a crosser comes, um, they, 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 they get detained by Border Patrol. And so once, once they're in detention, they go to these facilities, you know, it's a Border Patrol station, if you will, and that's where they're given the documentation to continue their their journey in the United States. But once they have that documentation, which the public, depending on which side you're on, 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 the, on the political spectrum, they have a legal reason to be here now. Mm-hmm. So they're no longer illegal. But there's different types of, of, of statuses. There are individuals that never get processed because they never got detained and they don't have documentation. So they are undocumented. Then you have the ones that are documented, just like the ones that get released. And so there's all this different language and rhetoric that's going out there. But the problem is, at the end of the day, is, is, is immigration reform. Yeah. Well, so um, I also wanted to ask you about many of the people um, that were literally crossing the river, as you described, mm-hmm. when the numbers started rising in the Del Rio sector were Haitian. That that During that event, sure. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Um, and so, uh, I mean, has 
Has that um, subsided since then in Del Rio? I mean, what's the situation like now? There, there are waves of, of different groups of people. So remember back in 2019, it was, as President Trump then put it, the Mexican Triangle. Remember the, Mex- the three Mexicos? <laughs> so it was El Salvadorians, um, Han- ha- um, Guatemalans, and uh, was it Nicar- or Nicaraguans? Um, it, it, they, they crossed, you know, in, in large numbers, and then it was Venezuelans, and then it was the Congolese, and then mm-hmm. it was, you know, the Colombians, and, and then in 2021 with with, with, with the Haitians. And it, it, so there's different waves of groups of people that cross. I don't understand completely, like, how that actually happens, how, like, just a, a large number of a certain particular group of people from a certain nationality come, but that's just how it's been. But And so the crossings are still higher than they were, oh, yeah. say, 10 years ago. Oh, okay. Yeah, definitely. What impact has this had? On Del Rio, on, you know, on your community, on your your constituents. Initially, when we started to see individuals, you know, when Border Patrol would just release individuals into this into the city limits. I mean, they would it's like you're getting forced homeless individuals. I mean, there's nowhere for them to go. You know, we don't have a homeless shelter in Del Rio, Texas. And at the time in 2019, we didn't have a a nonprofit that would even help facilitate like getting them access to a phone or shelter or, or, or new clothes or anything. So we had to like, as a council, we had to figure that out. And a, and a nonprofit, bless their hearts, you know, they came out of nowhere and, and started saying, hey, we'll, we'll help process the individuals. We got that going. Um, but, I mean, people were just walking the streets aimlessly, nowhere to go, trying to figure out how to get access to a phone so they can they can buy their bus ticket or buy their, their, their flight. And then we've kind of become desensitized to it, so to speak. I mean, it's kind of like we, we know it's happening in our backyard. And, you know, now it's streamlined to where the Border Patrol just drops them off. They're at the nonprofit location at the, at the Valverde Humanitarian Border Coalition and, uh, you know, sometimes you'll see them walking on the streets and sometimes you won't. There's like this where the where the bus picks up individuals to take them to San Antonio on the Greyhound. That 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 property, which is a, a, a convenience store, they're so tired of it that they actually don't even let the individuals stay inside the building anymore. They're like, no, buy your taco, buy your buy your buy your drink, buy your soda, whatever. But you got to wait outside uh-huh. because what was happening is that they, they just sit there for hours waiting for the bus. And so, like, regular or, or, or people that are trying to use the facility that, like, you and I, you know, buying gas or whatever and eat our taco, you, there's no space, you know, because it's just migrants waiting. So what, when you were mayor, and again, your, your uh, term ended uh, last summer, right? Mm-hmm. What did your constituents want you to do? Or what did they want, the, or what did they want the, from the Biden administration? Great. Great, great question. So we, 90% of Del Rioans know that this is not a city of Del Rio issue. They understand completely it's a federal issue, right? And so they 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 just wanted to at least get recognized that there's a crisis happening right now in real time. And when the numbers doubled as quickly as they did, we had um, local restaurants make burritos and little taquitos for, for them to feed them because we, we, we knew that the Border Patrol did not have the food available for them, you know. So people were very willing to, like, help out the situation because this is extreme circumstances. But at the end of the day, we just wanted, we wanted our Border Patrolmen and women to be supported by this administration. People forget that Border Patrolmen and women live in the communities that they're serving. I mean, these, my brother is a Border Patrol guy. I mean, it's like, and, and they have children. We have, they have needs. And, and they were being worked, you know, overtime hours like never before. And so... 
my community just wanted to get additional resources at the end of the day. And the resources being what? More manpower, larger facilities, the magistrates to actually, like, you know, get, get the individuals you know, with their court dates and everything. I mean, there's just, there's, there's, an, there's I, could, I would say there's an endless amount of resources that are needed. You know, just food, water, shelter, everything, you name it. That's, that's what these facilities need. Okay. Um, so we're going to talk more about sort of you uh, and your journey mm-hmm. uh, in politics in just a second. But you made a really good point earlier about sort of how immigration is talked about mm-hmm. in this country and the, that a very complex issue tends to get flattened, right, right, in the national conversation. And I was thinking about this the other day because it seems like we've reached a point um, in the United States where when we talk about uh, border crossings on the southern on the southern border especially, um, it's like, well, if you're watching right-wing media, the phrase is constantly, well, there's just an open border, right? Mm -hmm. Like that the Biden administration has open border policies. Mm -hmm. Uh, If you're watching, um, I don't know, I guess left-wing or progressive media, the the talk is, well, Donald Trump just wanted to, well, and actually did stop most immigration as well, so just wants to be nativist and close America down. Um, I mean, let me just ask you, from what you saw every day during your time as mayor, how would you describe what the border is? Is it an open border? I I I think it's I it's a closed border, right? There's there's supposed to be processes in place where you go to an actual border uh, facility, an actual um, customs facility. So you have land crossings, right? You have all the legal points of entry. You also have airport crossings, which are you know the big airports that have customs. You have seaports, so you have a lot of access and a lot of points to legal crossings. However. Most migrants that are trying to come into the United States right now are not using those access points because what they're seeing or what they're being told back home is like, oh, we'll just cross unlawfully. And then you it's like you kind of like cut the line, you know. So depending on who you ask from Del Rio, you know, you have people like my classmates that are, you know, we're now entering our 40. We're, we're turning 40 this year. And a lot of them are just or some of them are just now getting their citizenship. You know, they went through the legal, legal, lawful process, and they paid thousands of dollars. And they're extremely livid at this administration because a lot of these individuals, we understand that they're not getting their legal status right away or they're not getting American citizenship right away. But it's like they get to cut the line, so to speak. And, and it's like, wait, well, what about me? I did it the right way. Is that the right way? Is that the wrong way? I, I think I think what needs to happen at the end of the day is immigration reform. Like what processes can we can we can we can we. Um, simplify and what locations can we open up to 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 alleviate the the impact that border communities are getting every single day by this influx of migrant mentality that's like well let's just cross illegally it's dangerous it's 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 not safe for anybody involved you know we don't want you to drown we don't want we don't want our border patrol men and women to have to to to, to risk their lives either we want dignified humane treatment of individuals coming into United States to live this American dream right now also, case in point is like you have two different sides of the same coin. It's the same coin as immigration. And you have it, it's being shared in two different perspectives and points of view, right? But furthermore, I feel like, I feel like there's this, there's this romanticized, 
utopian dream from from and I'm going to just say urban Democrats. You know, they they oh, we want to welcome everybody. We have resources, everything. You guys have a lot of resources in big cities, Boston, New York, Chicago. There's a lot of stuff available that 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 you can provide the public. You know, you have homeless shelters, you have programs. You know, but the smaller communities like Del Rio, Uvalde, Eagle Pass, we don't have we don't have that. It's just it just does not exist. We don't have homeless shelters. You know, we don't have this utopian like you know we can give funding for everybody. It's our budgets are very limited and very finite, <laughs> just like any municipal budget is. And I feel like it's a romanticized ideology that like, you know, we want to we want to welcome as many people as we can. Well, so do we. But we have to do it lawfully or at least reform the processes to make it simpler to get citizenship so that you can continue to pay into the tax system that you're trying to fund. Right. Mm-hmm. And I think I think the, the Republican side of things has kind of just demonized the individual that's crossing because they know that trigger words like illegal, unlawful are very powerful and very impactful. And the the the, uh, the regular average Joe is like, oh, well, that's illegal. That's unlawful. You know, let's categorize them as rapists, as murderers or whatever, because that's the kind of grouping. But the only the only the only crime that's being committed is just the way that it's constructed. It's a civil penalty. It's not like yeah. they're not murdering anybody. You know, this is the duality that's happening right now in real time. And it's not helping places like Del Rio. No. And you're saying all this as a Democrat, right? Okay, we're gonna come back. We're gonna come back to that in a second. But um, so let's put a pause on the question of immigration because you yourself uh, have a fantastic story about how you, you entered politics. You're born in in Del Rio. Mm-hmm. Okay, so tell me what it was like growing up there. Traditional. Meaning what? <laughs> <laughs> so I'm I'm also a queer guy, first openly gay elected official in Del Rio, Texas. So growing up, you know, you have this mantra mentality with like, you know, it, what a guy's supposed to be like. And then here I am, you know, like the most feminine kid around. Like I didn't even do sports or anything like that. And uh, it, it's a little anyway. Yeah, my, my cousins used to tease me all the time. They're like, oh, yeah, you know, he doesn't even play outside with the boys. He's in there with, with the girls playing house. I'm like, yeah, that was me. I loved it. Um, it was. I love. I love. I love Dario. I love my hometown. You know, I got picked on. I got teased. I got bullied. But you know, I felt like I. I grew up, you know, with a with a very strong, tight family. We're very close. Um, you know, I got talked to my siblings and and my 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 tias, my my aunties. Yeah, it's a very it's a very very predominantly Hispanic Tejano community. Yeah, mm-hmm. and uh, and how long has your family been in the in the Del Rio area? So. I, my dad's side were fifth generation Texan Tejano. Okay. The, they 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 came to Seguin, Texas, and then eventually to Dorio. My mom's side is um, she's second. She's first generation. Um, they they were born in Acuna. They were born in right across okay. the river. Yeah, you know because oftentimes when we um, have conversations with people who live along the border, um, they have this beautiful saying about. Um, we didn't cross the border. The border crossed us, right? Beat me to it. I was going to say exactly <laughs> that. That's exactly what I was going to say. Mm-hmm. So that's, that's your family too, in a yeah. sense? Okay. My, my dad was embedded. He's like, you're Tejano, you're Tejano. The border didn't, you didn't cross the border. The border crossed you. He, that's it's like embedded in my in my brain. <laughs> do you mind if I ask, um, I mean, do you have a coming out story to your family? I mean, uh, I came out three times <laughs> because my mom, when I told her when I was 15, she didn't talk to me for three days. She insists she did. And I was like, no, mom, you you, you ignored me for three days. And then long story short, um, she, they ended up telling my dad. I didn't realize that. So then uh, my dad uh, came home one day, tore up my car, totaled it because they told him. Long story short, I didn't know that what was going on. Ran away from home, came back three days later. And then my mom was like, go tell your dad. And I did. And then my dad ended up telling me, um, well, it's a very challenging and, and hard life. 
What I didn't realize is that a couple of his cousins had actually died due to LGBT issues. Um, one was a trans woman that committed suicide, and then the other um, had HIV and passed away. So my dad was very close to his cousins, and he just didn't want me to have that kind of difficult life. So it's not that he didn't accept me. He just didn't want the the hardships that he wanted. Had. He wanted to protect you from the hardships he that he saw his own family members <clears throat> go through. Okay. That's a very short version of a very long process. <laughs> so. um, and you said that one of your one of your brothers works for uh, Border Patrol. Border Patrol. My older brother. Okay, and so he's actually out there, like helping. He used to be. Okay. Um, I think now he's like in a back office job or something. So I tease him because his name is also Bruno Lozano, and so like his <laughs> Facebook is like not the mayor. And so, <laughs> so like. Okay. I went to an award ceremony for the Border Patrol. They were honoring my, my responses to the crisis. And, and, and then my brother was actually re- recognized there, too, in that, same, in that same function. And they were like, Mayor, go up and get your award. And I'm like, that's my brother. That's your coworker. That's not me. <laughs> so, yeah, I have an older sister, and then I have my younger brother. So okay. there's four of us. Um, the older two are half. They have a different one. Got it. So when did you decide to jump into politics? Oh, then? God, that's a great question. So... I um, have always loved my community, and I love Del Rio. I'm a big, I'm a big Del Rio guy, and I would volunteer throughout my life. You know, cleaning up the creek. We have a a, a creek that's like needs a lot of love. It's the it's the vein and artery of our community. It gives us our water, and um, you know, do trash cleanups, things like that. And and then I would be involved in local nonprofits, Casa de Cultura, doing things like that. And um, I'm also I was not anywhere near like being the president class president during high school but like somehow I got suckered into like being the president of our reunions had a I had a 15 year reunion and after that my classmates were like you organized this this was brilliant you should run for mayor and I'm like guys like running a, a class reunion <laughs> you know 15 year reunion is not the same as running a city but my classmates just saw something that that I I still to this day I'm like people ask me like why do you do it why do you do it and I'm like I just do me I'm just just doing what I want to do like you know living the way that I want to live and being the person that I think, you know, like an elected official should be, right? So they kind of like planted that seed. But even before then, I, I work at a small airline at the time and um, I would visit these small municipalities and, and I would I wanted to bring these ideas back to Del Rio. And so I campaigned on economic development, infrastructure and accountability. And that's how I started the campaign trail in February of, 20, of 2018. And when that was going on, the incumbent, I'll just kind of share that little story real quick. The incumbent was, was too busy focused on my on my queerness and yeah. was like sharing my my speedo high heel uh, tutu picture from many prides ago. And like, you know, and but I wasn't focused on my sexuality. I was focused on the city. And so I had already uploaded my political campaign on my Facebook page. And so like for every time he'd shared the photos, I got more likes and interests and, and people were like it kind of helped me. It was like free advertising. Yeah, like, I was gonna say. Thank you, sir, for being for being such a punk, you know. And I mean, I I I, I did grassroots. I did. I walked the walk. I went to um, community events, and yeah, sixty two percent of the vote. Yeah, because so you anticipated my question about um, was you know you being a a gay man was it an issue in the campaign? Mm-hmm. But it sounds like it wasn't an issue amongst the voters. I no, I mean, and they it's like okay, they, this guy's so focused on my sexuality, and I'm not. Well, we're going to talk more about um, actually some the the barriers that you broke when you became uh, Del Rio's duly elected mayor. Uh, so we're speaking with Bruno Lozano today. His uh, term as the mayor of Del Rio, Texas, ended in the summer of 2022. We're hearing about his 
life story, historian politics, and also, of course, the realities of being mayor of a border town in Texas. So more when we come back. This is On Point. Did you kill Marlene Johnson? I think you're one of the first people to have actually asked. From WBUR and ZSP Media, this is Beyond All Repair, a new podcast about an unsolved murder that will leave you questioning everything. Somebody should be in jail for murdering my sister. A woman who's never been believed. As long as they think I have done this, then they're not looking for who actually did this. And that's what makes it a cold case. No, it's a botched case. And a search for the truth, once and for all. Wow, it just gets more interesting. Beyond All Repair. Listen and follow wherever you get your podcasts. Be careful. You're digging in a place that's been very peaceful for a while. Do it anyway. Dig. The world's clean energy future relies on ancient elements still in the ground. Without mining, there will not be a clean energy transition. But pulling them out of the ground comes at an environmental and human cost. Mining is intrusive, but the results are the building blocks for products that we use every single day. I'm Meghna Chakrabarty. Join me for Elements of Energy, Mining for a Green Future. Five consecutive episodes right here. So make sure you're following this podcast. This is On Point. I'm Meghna Chakrabarty. And today we're speaking with Bruno Lozano. He is the former mayor of Del Rio, Texas. He served as mayor from 2018 to 2022 to the summer of 2022. And we're talking with him uh, about the reality of life and immigration uh, on a Texas border town and also his own journey in politics. So uh, Mayor Lozano wanted to talk a little bit more about, um, you know, being the first, I gather, the first openly gay mayor of uh, of Del, Del, Rio. Del Rio, right? Um, so you were telling, actually, I'm going to just break down the fourth wall here. You were telling me during the break that um, of the, you know, of the people who voted for you, it was some of the most conservative uh, parts of Del Rio mm-hmm. uh, you, who you said put you in office. Mm-hmm. Why was that important to you? I, I think that just because I, 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 I think political parties, especially at the higher up level, they they kind of just target. Oh well, Democrats vote this, and we got to go to these neighborhoods. Republicans are focusing on their voters, but uh, local politics in Texas—it's nonpartisan, it's bipartisan. It, you don't even declare your party. So I did not exclude the, the most conservative district, which is District Two. I went door to door. I I knocked on. I felt like thousands. <laughs> There's only hundreds of doors to knock on, and I I feel like that had a very empower a very powerful impact on the perspective of of you know what social media is saying about this about this candidate versus who this candidate actually is in front of them, and I that was very impactful, and 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 they showed up to vote yeah. me in. Well, also I just want to remind folks that Del Rio isn't tiny, tiny. I mean, it's thirty four thousand mm-hmm. five hundred as last last I looked. So, mm-hmm. um, it's a it's a sizable town now. Were those the same doors 
uh, well, I guess maybe you didn't knock on those doors, but I wonder what those same constituents thought when you um, you brought the uh, the HBO special "We're right. Here" We're to, here. to Del Rio, which is it's a show where uh, drag queens visit small towns across America. Right, right. And so you know, I actually had a little uh, I had a little situation. So I had thirteen pastors from the local area write a letter to the city manager saying that they should not that we should revoke the license. Um, because it was being held at a public park, and and then I had a councilman do like an investigation on me because he thought that I was getting paid for by the program, and then you know all this just and that's that's not what happened at all. I, you don't get paid to be on a documentary. That's just not how documentaries work, you know. And so and so um, at the time because COVID was happening for the show, but but the producers were like, Bruno, this is one of the biggest crowds we've had. I mean, we filled up the whole park. It was like, they were, we were expecting maybe 150, 200 people. About 600 people showed up to watch the show. So I, I, you know, we had a sizable, very supportive community. And the reality is, is that my constituents didn't, didn't, they weren't focused on that. They knew that that was just part of who I was. And I'm not, I've, I've never denied my past or who I am as a, as a person, you know, alluding to some politicians right now that are completely denying themselves <laughs> and their reality. Like, I was going to say Hispanic drag queens are having and, a moment. And they're having a moment. It's like, <laughs> I just read a, I read an article, I read a, a message in my inbox on, on Instagram. They're like, Mayor, you're the only politician that can do drag anyway. And I was like, thank you. I appreciate that. I think I did it very well. <laughs> so shout out and to And you Shangela. didn't have to lie about <laughs> no. who you are. No. Um, do you, has, has your example and the fact that you were the, you know, the leader of Del Rio as an openly gay man, do you think it's changed the climate in Del Rio sure. for other for for uh, other young people there? I think so. And I when I first won, I made sure that I, I, I feel the youth oftentimes get belittled or ignored or not even recognized in decision making policies at the at the council level, at the at the at, you know, higher ups and stuff. And so what I did, I visited all the elementary schools, I made sure that I was visible, made sure that I went to the middle school and especially high school classrooms and I would sit on one on one and I would talk very nonchalantly about, you know, what it's like growing up and, and the 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 students would would approach me later. Thank you for sharing your story. I'm having a hard time. How can I how can I talk to my parents? And then I would provide resources like here. Speak to this guy. Speak to this gal. You know, and you know, years later when the kids would graduate, because I several of them graduated, and I'd be seeing them in San Antonio. They're like, Mayor, thank you so much for coming. Like you really had a positive impact. You know, and so I think that the that the that the students would tell their parents that this is guy that's like you know we admire him for what he's doing he's being his true authentic self and leading a community like I didn't make my mayorship focused on LGBT life like that's just one identifying identifier of, of who I am right I'm also a veteran I'm also a, a a Tejano I'm also you know an uncle a son I have all these different you know traits about me and. I think I think they tried to make it seem like I had a gay agenda, but then my response was always like, "Okay, well, if building better streets and roads is 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 a gay agenda, then I guess we should all be on that bandwagon, right?" <laughs> so I don't know what to tell you, buddy. Like, you know, and I and I would recognize Pride during Pride Month, but I would also recognize other or you know organizations, and I actually diversified, you know, inviting people. Like I, I invited a rabbi that was the first first time ever a rabbi came and spoke at a city council meeting. I invited. Pastors of all denominations, priests, everybody. I was I was trying to yeah. be very inclusive, right, in a very traditional town. Well, um, you said you were a veteran because you served in the Air Force mm-hmm. after high school. So another part of who Bruno Lozano mm-hmm. is um, today. How strongly is Democrat still part of your identity? Well, I mean, I I. 
for for a while there, I was so frustrated with this administration, and I just wanted to just leave. I didn't. I feel like I was being gaslit with everything going on with immigration, with the immigration concerns on the border. A lot of us Democrats were sharing same same the same feelings, right? But you know, at the end of the day, I, I still I still believe that we have um, a really great platform that that we support more inclusive practices and more um, progressive practices, which I think can help provide more for the community, for, for, for Americans. But I also appreciate a lot of the values that some of the Republican Party shares as well. Like, I I, I don't like large government. I was kind of like, my some of my friends in Dario would call me like, you got to come out of your second closet, which is a Republican Party closet. <laughs> and I'm like, oh, no, like... <laughs> I was like, okay, because I am, I'm, 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 I'm kind of a conservative Democrat. I'm very in the middle. I lean more center than I do left, right? And, and I think I just, I, I, I think that's the beautiful part of being an American and being, being, you know, being able to vote. You don't have to vote down party line. You can vote down for the best candidate. I wish more people would, would, would have that mentality. Um, because like, like Will Hurd, I loved Will Hurd. Yeah. Will Hurd was great. Former congressman. Former congressman Will Hurd. He's, he's amazing, you know. And I think he's, you know, it's brilliant, brilliant guy. And but he got beat up by his own party. I mean, he's the one African American guy, you know, at Black Lives Matter protests. It's like. Yeah. Can you blame him for, for resigning? You know? Well, because the reason why I asked you if um, Democrat is still a strong part of your overall identity is because I first read about you in this terrific mm-hmm. article that Tim Alberta wrote mm-hmm. in The Atlantic mm-hmm. uh, about why Democrats are losing Hispanic voters. Mm-hmm. And um, he had written with you right. a, 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 along the Del Rio sector, mm-hmm. and you were sharing your frustrations with him. Uh, and he kind of wondered out loud in the article if you would stay in the Democratic right. Party. So it sounds when like he you... wrote the article when I was being interviewed, I was extremely frustrated with the Biden administration. I was just so like I, I was contemplating on my next my next process, my next move, my next goal. I didn't know exactly how I wanted to where I wanted to go at that time. So he so Tim Abrota actually captured a very intimate moment in my life of like, what are my values? What do I believe in? Where do I want to go? You know, because and I say again, I was I felt gaslit by this administration. They're, we're here telling them these are these are this is what's going on, and then they're out there publicly saying that there's no crisis, or even they don't even want to use the word right. And that was just like you know, uh, but then but then what happened you know months later is that you started seeing these these um, you know where women no longer had access to health care, and then you had the trans bills coming up, and then you had you know they started vic- villainizing drag queens, and I'm like okay no like that's that's not I'm not gonna switch over for that either you know like I. I share way more um, values with the Democrat, the Democratic Party, and I believe that you know they need people like myself in in within the party to kind of vocalize that you can't you can't romanticize issues either. You have to have workable solutions that 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 are that are discussed with both with everybody. Like you know you got to have mayors at the table if yeah. you're going to talk about immigration. Period. Like border mayors specifically. Well, so <laughs> so in talking about solution or pro- solutions or proposed solutions, um, on January fifth, uh, President Biden announced his latest immigration policies, and mm-hmm. basically the idea is to create a faster legal process for those wishing to claim for us uh, asylum in the United States. And here's how uh, the president described how it's going to work. First, if they're seeking asylum, they can use an app on their cell phone called CBP1, O-N-E, CBP1, O-N-E, to schedule an appointment at a port of entry. 
and make their asylum claim there without crossing the border unlawfully and have a decision determined by an asylum officer, do they qualify? Second, in October, we worked with the Mexican government to launch a new parole program that immediately showed results by reducing the number of people crossing the border unlawfully. The way this parole program works, one must have a lawful sponsor here in the United States who agrees to sponsor you to get here. Then that person has to go undergo rigorous background checks and apply from outside the United States and not cross the border illegally in the meantime. If they apply and their application is approved, they can use the same app, the CBP-1 app, to present at a port of entry and be able to work in the United States legally for two years. That's the process. But if their application is denied, or if they attempt to cross into the United States unlawfully, they'll be returned back to Mexico and will not be eligible for this program after that. So, Mayor Lozano, that was the president again on January 5th. Now, I really have no idea what kind of resources people who come to the border have with them. This idea of using an app to help speed and facilitate um, processing, is that realistic? I think so. Okay. A, a lot of them, as soon as they get on, on, on Texas ground, they're, they have their phones out doing TikToks and Instagram reels and saying, llegamos, we made it. And it's kind of like in your face how how ide- how romanticized the Northerners think this asylum-seeking process is. You know? So I think this is something that I've actually support. I, I think I've been trying to, to, to get out there. A lot of us border mayors and, and border um, elected officials have been saying, like, you know, we got to start the process in country so that way they're not overwhelmed. And I alluded to it earlier, use the port of entries that we have available, which is not just land crossings, but I, I challenge administration to open it up to airports that can process customs as well. I mean, it's not the border. B- border is not just between the United States and Mexico. Border is all states. Every single state that has an airport with international customs is a border port of entry, period. And I think Americans have this like, oh, well, southern border, southern border. New York City is a is, is JFK Airport, one of the largest, you know, border crossings in the world. It's legal border crossing. Anytime you pass through CBP, that's what it is. So what you just said that you think northerners romanticize mm-hmm. the people who come to the border. What did you mean by that? I, well, specifically urbanites or, you know, the larger cities, they romanticize. It's because I feel like, you know, this like they, they want to help. You know, sure, of course, you know, you— you know, everybody's a human, human rights, human equality. So there's this rhetoric out there that, like, you know, there is no illegal. Everybody's a human per- a human being. They deserve, you know, respect. I agree totally. But, you know, come visit Del Rio, Texas, Eagle Pass, Texas, and tell, tell, tell the tell, tell individuals that live there, you know, what that what you're what you're projecting and promoting out there on social media or to your friends and family and in, 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 in these communities that are crossing illegally and tell that to, to us. And, and and we'll show you like this is what happens. It's an environmental impact. They leave all their garbage behind. It's 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 a it's a economic impact. You know where, you know they they're taking resources from the community. It's 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 a logistical impact. We don't have enough flight. I mean, there's a whole bunch of different things that happen simultaneously. That's hard to, unless you see it firsthand. It's very challenging to describe to these individuals that are kind of like you know, and and I and I appreciate that they want to have you know, immigration and asylum seekers here and treated everybody humanely. But we have to, like, really talk about the process itself. Do you mm-hmm. really want to condone unlawful crossings and, like, have these families drown, you know, and or or 
or, or go through the deserts or, or be part of the cartels that, that make thousands of dollars off of them? Or do you want to try to have a more humane approach where they can use the app or, or start in country and, and, and start with dignity and be dignified? So then what more would you have uh, the administration, not just the administration, but Congress as Congress well really needs to do, right? right? Because, I mean, the physical, the material supports that uh, border towns need is definitely loud and clear. You've said that loud and clear. But beyond that, in order to sort of uh, alleviate the pressure mm-hmm. overall, what would what should be done? Let's let's revisit, you know, employment opportunities and let's revisit, you know, visa programs. I mean, the, you know, the, it still exists. There's still a migrant population that goes up to the north and picks the picks the fields, you know, during the summer and they go back to, I mean, it still exists. It's just not legal or it's just not out there, you know? It's just revisit that and and, re, and revision or reimagine the visa process, right? And I actually like to throw this out there too. So like we, we allow individuals to come study at our universities to do, you know, lucrative jobs like, you know, rocket science, you know, we'll, we'll give visas out to these to these different individuals from like, you know, countries like India or China or what have you. And they're treated like this elite population of like, you know, you can come do this in America and study and do this. But then at the flip side, on the complete opposite end of the spectrum, it's like we still need we still need workers that are actually going to be working in our hotels or our crops or 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 our cleaners, you know, and we don't give them the same opportunity for visa programs. They're villainized and they're demonized. And it's like we we the American system itself is already cast is already has a caste system on why you're going to come to the country, and we put a value, a greater value, on being a professor, being a student, you know, or being a, mad, a, a rocket scientist than we do on that same individual that's 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 cleaning, that's 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 providing food or what have yeah. you. It, it's 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 not equal treatment at all. Yeah. And I think that I challenge Congress to re-ima- reimagine what that looks like. Well, I would say we put a greater legal value mm-hmm. uh, on those, like, say, H-1B visa absolutely. workers. But the economic value of the other workers you're talking about is absolutely undeniable, absolutely. right? Okay, we've just got 30 seconds left, Mayor Lozano. I, we could talk for another hour. Um, but I hear you maybe you're thinking about higher office? Higher office. Just don't know which chamber. <laughs> I'll leave it out there. <laughs> Stay tuned. All right. Well, Bruno Lozano served as the mayor of Del Rio, Texas from 2018 to 2022. And he joined us today right here in the On Point studio. Mayor Lozano, it's been such a pleasure to have you on the show. Thank you so Thank much. You, Magna. It's been great. Thank you for having me. I'm Magna Chakrabarty. This is On Point.